Omajana Trimananda Shah Janajana Salakaya Chakshun Melitanyena Tasma Shri Gurave Namaha. Good evening. We'll continue this evening with our discourse on the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. Uh, we're now up to the 19th Anucheda, dropping down back to the 16th. Bhagavan, Bhagavan's energies are intrinsic. In other words, all his energies are, are part of his actual nature. Uh, the 17th Anucheda. His energies, which are intrinsic to him, are both conscious and inert. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. All these comprise my separated material energies. They are all coming from him. Last week we discussed Maya in two divisions, and those two divisions being Jiva Maya, which can be looked at as internal, and Guna Maya, which can be looked at as external. And when we speak of internal, it's still Maya, it's still the Supreme Lord's external potency, but it's within the functioning of the jivatma, mind, intelligence, false ego. To the jiva, who's associated with them, these are part of my being. Without them, what is there of me? If I didn't have an ego, what would I be? And mind, what would I be without my mind? But mind is... It's not part of our true nature. It's not part of our consciousness. Maya comes in two varieties. It has both the perceptible and the inert. This evening, Jiva Goswami continues in his 19th Anucheda, the short explanation of this Anucheda. This section is the internal energy is the source of all action. Jiva goes forward. Now the internal energy, which is of the nature of his essential being, and thus called Swarup Bhuta, is described as the source behind all action, by the logic of there being no other possibility. In the following two verses, so spoken by Narada to Chitraketu. It's from the 6th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, 16th chapter. I'm going to read the commentary of Sridhar Swami, which is also part of uh, Jiva Goswami's Anucheda. And as we remember, Jiva told us he would be using Sridhar Swami's commentary. And in his commentary, all the points of the verses are clearly brought out, so I thought we would just go directly to Sridhar Swami's commentary. So he comments, I bow down to that Brahman, which the life force cannot contact by its power of action, nor the mind and psyche, known by their cognitive power, even though this Brahman is all-pervasive, like the sky. In the second verse, Narada, explains the reason for this inability. Infused with a particle of the Supreme Brahman, i.e. filled with a fraction of his conscious energy, the body, senses, and so on, can engage in their respective fields of action, while in the waking and dreaming states, 
but not otherwise, i.e., not in the states of unconsciousness and deep sleep, any more than iron can burn without having been heated by fire. Iron in its normal state cannot burn, but when heated, acquires burning power from the fire. Nevertheless, it cannot burn the fire itself. Similarly, though the body and senses perform their respective functions by the knowledge and working potencies of Brahman, they cannot approach or know it. The verses from the Bhagavatam, wherein Narada is speaking to Chitruketu, Sridhar Swami is paraphrasing. I bow down to that Brahman, which the life force cannot contact by its power of action, nor the mind and psychic, known by their cognitive power, even though this Brahman is all-pervasive like the sky. So Narada is bowing to Brahman, the supreme Brahman, even though the conditioned jiva cannot approach Brahman with its life force, with its cognitive power, its psychic power, we can't really approach Brahman. We can approach sense objects and we can infer what Brahman may be, but as far as approaching Brahman, we do not have the capacity, even though there's no place that Brahman is not. Even though it's the basic ingredient, it is the only ingredient of everything that we contact, we cannot approach it and acquire full apprehension of it. Even though we're infused with a particle of it, which gives us the ability to be cognitive of everything else, which is also its Shakti. Now, Sankaracharya, he also writes, and this is interesting. As you know, Sankaracharya also gave his commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. And we know from our studies what is the philosophy of Sankaracharya, this radical non-dualism. Sankaracharya is a tricker, and we find at certain places he cannot fully conceal his deeper knowledge of what is the Supreme Brahman. It comes out in the, his commentary in the Vedanta Sutra, which is being referred to here by Jiva Goswami. Then again, one should consider that Pradhan is imparted with seership by the power of the witness, the Purusha, just as a piece of iron acquires the ability to burn from fire. Sure seems like he's talking about a conscious effort on the part of the Supreme to grant a Shakti an ability to see or to perceive or to be cognitive of the material energy by the power of the witness, the Purusha, of course, he would, in, ex in explaining himself, say, oh, when I say Purusha, I mean that imposition upon Brahman where we Advaitins look at 
the fact that there is a Purusha when Brahman is in contact with the external energy, there's a portion of it that's called knowledge. So when Brahman comes in contact with the Vidya portion, that we call the Supreme Purusha. And when it comes in contact with the Avidya portion, we call it the Jivatma. Also, these the statements that are being made here are confirmed in various Upanishads. Sridhar Swami's commentary continues, Just because the jiva is imparted with the power of seership does not make him a knower of all things. The title seer applies to no one other than Brahman. Paramatma knows the jiva, the jiva does not know him. Therefore there is no other seer other than Bhagavan. In other words, there is no entity who sees the all-seeing Lord. Footnote, the jiva exists in the Paramatma alone. All right, some commentary, some further explanation of what's being said here. Having defined Maya's full dependence on Bhagavan, Srila Jiva Goswami now proceeds to establish that all action originates from the internal potency. The vision that is going to be conveyed to us over the next few Anucheta is one where Jiva Goswami explains by using the Bhagavatam as his praman, his evidence, that all action originates from the Lord's internal potency. When we say internal potency, we would say, well, that's the Swarup Shakti. From the Supreme's viewpoint, all of his potencies are part of his internal nature, except what he specifically refers to as his external nature, which is Umirapo Milovayu. Let's look closely at these verses quoted from the Bhagavatam. The first shows that the working cognitive and conative, the working senses, and the cognitive senses, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, knowledge, we also call those knowledge-acquiring senses, are unable to perceive the Lord. So we have senses and we can perceive the energy of the Lord on the material plane, but our senses are not powerful enough to actually perceive the Lord directly, even though he's all around us. We don't have the power or the ability, not because he's too far away. I mean, he's all pervasive, right? It's like the sky. There's nowhere that you can be where he is not. And that's one of his features. People call him differently by different nomenclatures. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjute. This is the supreme, non-dual absolute. These are simply different angles of vision according to the mode of the, the worshiper or the transcendentalist his philosophy, but they all are indicative of that one supreme absolute truth. So you cannot say that Krishna is not everywhere. 
He is everywhere. He is a present everywhere as Brahman. Brahman is just an angle of vision. He's all-pervading like the sky. Now the second verse, Narda, again, explains that the body and senses are inert by nature. Products of Gunamai. The living, ent- the living being extends consciousness into the inert body and senses. Then they can function per- and perception is possible. There's one thing that Jiva is trying to get across here in utilizing these verses. The inert senses in and of themselves have no capacity. And he uses that to segue our consciousness into understanding that that conscious expansion of his, ourselves, the Jivatma, also has no potency to conceive of the Supreme. The material senses, unless infused with the consciousness of the Jiva, they're dead matter. They can't, the mind cannot think unless there's a Jiva occupying a body. The eyes cannot see, the ears cannot hear, the nose cannot smell, we cannot taste. The senses themselves cannot perceive anything unless they're infused with the consciousness of the jiva. They, in and of themselves, have no ability. They do not have the, the, the capability. Taking this same understanding a step further, the jiva, the conscious expansion of the Supreme, also does not have the ability to perceive perfectly Brahman, it can only go so far. It can perceive according to its capacity, which is limited by the ability of the mind and senses it has available. So the illustration is there of the iron rod. First, in relationship to the iron rod, as used to understand that the mind and senses and all the functions of inert matter can only come to life with the infusion of the jivatma, the conscious entity. And also, if if the conscious entity is to perceive beyond those inert tools which are afforded by a material body, it also needs an infusion of energy which is not of its nature. So iron by itself does not have the capacity to burn. It only has the capacity to burn when it's placed in the fire. But even though it's placed in the fire, its capacity to burn is still limited. It can't burn the fire, the source of its energy. Just as the senses and body derive their energy from the self, the conscious jiva. The self, in turn, receives its energy from Krishna. We use this nomenclature Krishna. Well, we could, we could use the nomenclature Brahman or Paramatma. The jiva is not an independent seer. Although he is a seer during the waking and dreaming states, he cannot see anything during deep sleep. He doesn't lose the power to see, 
He still has the capacity to see, but in that state of consciousness, he's no longer a seer. As we learn in the Tattvasandarva, all these aspects, Adiyatmik, Adibautik, Adidivik, they cooperate together as mutual supports. But all of them are supported by Bhagavan. The Atma, Adiyatmik, ourselves, all of our energies, everything that we have, our consciousness, our fragmental spirituality is coming from Bhagavan. Adibautik, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, the body, both subtle and gross, all that support also comes from Bhagavan. And Adidaivik, what the senses actually can perceive. They all mutually support our experience, our ability to enjoy and suffer within material existence. But none of them have any capacity independent of Brahman. So that's one of the key points being presented in this Anucheda. He's the absolute Ashraya. He's the shelter and support of all these, which are our field of activity. Adiyatmik, Adibaltic, Adidaivik. We have ourself. We need a body in order to recognize our selfhood because we have no spiritual awareness independent of that under our current consciousness and adidivic without the environment being surcharged all of the senses they're not going to be able to perceive anything we might want to see and we have the capacity to see we are seers both in the seeing sense of the of the of the eye and the knowing sense of the mind, but without a sun, the seeing sense will not function. So there has to be diva, there has to be a supplying agent for these sense perceptions, for the hearing, for the seeing, for the smelling, for the tasting. Krishna's a support. Both the jiva and the material energy are functioning by his power. How much of his power? Well, he gives us an indication in Bhagavad Gita. But with a fraction of my power, I support and pervade this is everything that you experience in the cosmos. By a fraction, I keep all the material universes going. There's a lot out there in, in the spiritual prospect of entering into a fully conscious life and awareness. So Rashi Chahamhriti Sani Visto Matas Mritir Janamapohanam Cha Vedas Chasavara Hameva Vedyo Vedanta Krid Veda Videva Chaham Smritir Janamapohanam Cha Remembrance, Knowledge and Forgetfulness Remembrance, Knowledge and Forgetfulness All these are coming from Krishna, he says in Bhagavad Gita. And what's pointed out here is these three words. Retir Janamapo and Amcha. 
all these three are coming from me. I give you that. can also mean the three states of dreaming, waking, and deep sleep. Dreaming, remembrance. Krishna is giving remembrance. He's giving us a state of dreaming, one of our states of consciousness. What is the state of dreaming? It's simply a remembrance, although we've generally put the pieces together in a very discombobulated form and experience them in that way. Sometimes not, though. Dreaming, waking, is awareness, our waking state of consciousness. And deep sleep, there's no sense perception. But we're still there. A little explanation is given here. We should never consider ourselves the ultimate doer. And as a proof, an example is given of our simple existence being fully dependent on the Paramatma. So there's a state of our consciousness, smitir, janam, apohanam, and apohanam, deep sleep, we have no awareness. Our senses are off. Not talking about the dreaming state or the waking state. We're talking about the deep sleep state. So the senses are off. When someone calls our name and we're in deep sleep, who wakes us? Who's all pervasive enough to be aware of our consciousness and be aware of the sound that's in the ether? It can only be Paramatma. So Paramatma stirs our consciousness to first dreaming and then a wakeful state whenever we're addressed in deep sleep. Paramatma pervading within and without is, is that agent. So we should never think that we are the exclusive agent for all action. Because if you're in a building that's burning and you're in deep sleep, and somebody screams fire, somebody wakes you up. Again, remembering deep sleep is lights are out. No one is home. Although there's a physical body there, it's a complete lack of awareness of that environment. And we go back to the philosophy presented in the Bhagavad Gita by Krishna himself, that when we look to any action, and again, the point being made to reinforce that the jiva is not an independent doer. So when the Gita says, any action that's performed, there are five agents of action. And the jiva is only one of those five. The problem, of course, arises when we think we're the agent of action and the exclusive agent of all action. So the next Anucheta, the jiva is dependent on Bhagavan, for his power of cognition. Jiva Goswami goes forward and he quotes a prayer from the Hansa Guya prayers of Daksha Maharaj in the sixth canto of the Bhagavatam. Because the body, the vital force, the external senses, the psyche, and the gross and subtle elements are material, they cannot know their own nature the nature of other senses, nor the nature of their controllers. But the living being can know all these, as well as the three qualities. Nevertheless, although he knows these, 
he is enabled to know the omniscient and unlimited supreme being whom I praise. And then Jiva goes on in his Anucheta to say the same exact point is supported by verses from the Brihada Aranyak Upanishad. The point being made here is Bhagavan's internal energy is the fountainhead of all cognition, carrying forward from the last Anucheta. Evidence of this is in Daksha's prayers. The senses themselves have no cognitive power. They cannot know their own nature. The mind doesn't know that it's fickle, unsteady, chanchala. It has no ability to know its different states of consciousness because it has no states of consciousness. Although we think the mind is our seat of consciousness. That's our illusion. So the senses can't know their own nature, but the living being can. Can know not only the senses and the actions of the senses, they can also understand the three qualities of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Even though we can perceive and understand all this, which is quite extraordinary, we still can't understand the source. So again, pounding the post. Jiva is just bringing home the points that he's trying to make. An interesting uh, analogy. A spoon can transport the food to our mouth, but it can't taste. It only serves. So the senses can transfer to us so much. The eyes allow us to see, smell, hear, taste, feel. We can work, we can pick up, we can go from place to place. We have knowledge acquiring and we have working senses. And we also have the mind, which can either be our greatest friend or a foe, depending on our command of it. (laughs) How tightly we have the reins and the whip. So either it's going where it wants or it's taking us or we're directing it where we want to go. So this analogy can be further extended to the jiva and Bhagavan. This analogy of the spoon can get the food to the mouth, but it's never going to taste the food. This can go a step further. An enlightened jiva, we know there are self-realized jivas and we know there are conditioned jivas, can understand the two states. He can understand the pure self, Now, when we speak of pure jiva in the context of this presentation of of Jiva Goswamis, understand pure jiva in the context of a jivan mukta, a self-realized soul. So let's don't take it to the next level of a devotee. They're in the league of their own. So let's keep it in the league of the understanding of one within the Lord's external energy up to the platform of a jiva mukta. The enlightened jiva can understand the two states of being, the atma state, the pure consciousness, and the anya state, conditioned state of consciousness, along with the senses and the mind and the body and the gunas. Yet it cannot understand God. It can know so much, but it cannot understand God. Although... 
the Supreme Brahman is all around it, is all-pervading, is all-encompassing, and nothing is happening without that energy. Even the perfected self cannot go through that veil of understanding. And to some extent that applies to the even the Jivan Mukta who still has a material form. Even and how far does it go? This lack of awareness of God, of the Supreme, of Krishna? Well, even Brahma and Shiva in their capacities as overlords of the material energy, of the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance. And their intelligence is far superior to the rank and file jivatmas. Their intelligence independent of the ingress of Krishna Swarup Shakti cannot have knowledge. Although consciousness is the basic requirement for cognition, it is not sufficient to know Bhagavan or any of the aspects, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. We also require grace. So there's a verse from the Padma Purana which brings this point home. Mata Shri Krishna Namadi Nabhaved Graham Indriya Sevan Mukhi Heji Vidal Swayam Eva Sparachida Krishna and his name, form, qualities, and pastimes cannot be uttered or grasped by the way of the material senses. Only when the mind and senses are transmuted through unalloyed devotion do the name, form, and so on manifest of their own volition on the tongue or other senses. And even when one is blessed with devotion, they receive that grace. They have a very limited understanding of the Supreme. Even other forms of the Supreme, expansions of the Supreme Lord himself, can't know the extent of the Supreme. Ananta can be chanting about the glories, the qualities, the pastimes, eternally. He's never going to reach the end of that understanding. But if we are to know anything of the Supreme, it's going to come through him. Tesam satatayuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dadami budi yogam tam yena to those who are constantly devoted and worship me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. We can come to Krishna. Will we ever comprehend? We'll never comprehend everything of Krishna. And really, we don't care to. We're coming through the, through the line of disciplic succession of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. All we want to comprehend is selfless service, the highest form of unalloyed devotion. In fact, a little bit of maya would be greatly appreciated by us because we don't really want to know that we are in a relationship with that supreme, all-encompassing power. All of that uh, awe and reverence stands in the way of a deep appreciation of the sweetness of Krishna. We appreciate being in yoga maya. Krishna himself has all these potencies. Swabhaviki jana bala kriyacha. In this Anucheta, Srila Jiva Goswami has shown 
that Bhagavan's internal potency is the source of the jiva's cognitive power. And we have enough for this last Anucheta. Maya is under Bhagavan's control. Jiva goes on. The internal potency is additionally explained by describing Bhagavan's features of controlling Maya. Pallad Maharaj prayed to Lord Dasringa, O Supreme Lord, by your effulgence, you have eternally conquered the qualities of the Atma. In your form as time, you keep material cause and effect under your control. So in this prayer, Prahlad is bringing out both the Lord's control of the Atma, the self, our self, by your effulgence. You have eternally controlled the qualities of the Atma. Then he goes on, and as a form of time, you control the material cause and effect. When we listen to these prayers in the context of Jiva Goswami's presentation in the Sandarbhas, we're brought into a whole other realm of Sambandagyan. And that's, I think, what we begin to appreciate more and more. And as we see through the vision of Jiva Goswami, the message of the Bhagavatam, then when we associate directly with the Bhagavatam and hear it from the lips of the sadhus, then all of these deeper understandings simply contribute to our appreciation of the message. Here, Prahlad's talking about the internal potency and the external potency and how Krishna is creating both. I never saw that in the verse before as I read it, although it was right there staring me in the face. But now I can see it and I can put it in the context of understanding the Vadanti Tat verse. Vadanti Tat Tatva Vidas Tatvam Yash Jadamadvayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Subjate. How is Bhagavan controlling his various potencies? By his effulgence alone, he is controlling the qualities of, of our self. By his potency of time, he's controlling all of his material energies. How can the jiva think that he is independent in his cognitive power? He would have to be completely under the illusion of maya. What Sridhar Swami brings out in his commentary on this verse in the Bhagavatam is in this verse where it refers to dom. The translation is your effulgence. We pull out our Sanskrit dictionary and we look up dom and we find not only does it mean place of residence, domicile, but it also can mean effulgence. And effulgence means power and influence. Although in the verse, the Sanskrit word dom is there, it's not translated as abode. It's translated as effulgence. When effulgence is used in the context of Krishna's controlling power of the selves, of the jiva, it's referring to his influence and his power by his own potency, his chit potency, his internal potency, sat-chit-ananda, everything's existing eternally, and there is all-pervading knowledge of everything. And then in the commentary, a verse from Mother Devaki in her prayers to Krishna, 
And this reinforces the second half of the verse from the Bhagavatam in regards to Krishna's control of the external potency. O friend of the unmanifest, this creation works under the control of powerful time, which is divided into seconds, minutes, hours, and years. This element of time, which extends for many millions of years, is but another of your forms. I take shelter of you, the controller of time, and the reservoir of all good fortune. Are there any questions? Um, she says they're a friend of the unmanifest. Who is she referring to as the unmanifest? Like the... Oh, friend of the unmanifest. It's a good question. Friend of the unmanifest. When we talk of unmanifest, the unmanifest is a different nature, is it not? <laughs> Because this nature is manifest and unmanifest. So she's talking about Krishna's internal, eternally manifest nature. It's not manifest. It's always there, always existing. It's not like the material nature which comes and goes. It's that eternal nature. That could be one explanation. We could also look at it from many other angles of vision. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.